you know, what do you share, right? What are the right ratios? You know, because you don't want to just talk about like products and services. There is a ratio that we would uh, typically talk about, which was three, two, one. So every six pieces of content that you share, you would share three pieces of thought leadership, two pieces of industry news, and one piece about you or your company. If I keep doing that, then every now and again, when I share something about my company, they're like, oh, good for you. That goes out to their entire network. So it's a great amplifying effect. You're listening to Ecomonics, a Debutify podcast, your resource for one-of-a-kind insights into the world of e-commerce and business in the modern age. This is Joseph. I'll be presenting a wealth of industry knowledge from interviews with successful business people and our own state-of-the-art research. Your time is valuable, so let's go. Fellow Torontonian Jonathan Baldock brings Social HP to the table today, along with a handy look into some of the insights of LinkedIn owing to his prior work there. We talk about the importance of employee advocacy for the well-being of a company in the eyes of our peers across both B2B and B2C. Jonathan Baldock, it is good to have you here in Ecomotics. Good to see you again. You are somebody that we had a uh, well an off-camera conversation with a couple of uh, couple of weeks or maybe a month ago. So h- how are you doing today? How are you feeling? Yeah, pretty good. You know, I'm I'm one shot into the uh, the vaccine uh, experience and uh, had no side effects from okay. uh, Sir AstraZeneca, so I'm I'm doing all right. Okay, I mean, uh, I I can't see you. Your your I think your 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 pigmentation has completely. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. The joke <laughs> the joke there was I, I lost visibility. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. If they could turn me invisible, that'd be a bonus. Yeah, I suppose so. Uh, Okay, well, I was trying to talk myself out of it there for a second, but I guess superpowers are kind of a uh, kind of incentive to get and not not to get it. Yeah, I, I'm a tinfoil hat kind of guy, so like some of some of that stuff, my my tinfoil hat, it just goes completely upright, and so yeah, no okay. worries, no worries. Anyways, so uh, but before I, I go, I go full on um, uh, Alex Jones on you. Let's focus. So tell us, uh, Jonathan, what you do and what you're up to these days. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, currently, I am an advisor. Uh, for an organization called Social HP. Uh, they have a, an employee advocacy platform. And so basically the idea is that you want your employees saying good things about your company. And in doing so, there's benefits to the employees, there's benefits to the company. Uh, as a company, you would want to focus on the ones for you. And so uh, some companies use it for social selling. Some companies use it for pure marketing, uh, some for brand reputation. And, uh, and the last use case is talent acquisition. And then for employees, usually they want to share content because it makes them look smart and it makes them feel proud. And so that's what I do. I, I help companies deal with that topic of you know, you know amplifying the voice of the employees and uh, and measuring all the uh, the good stuff on the back end. I've uh, I've had quite a, quite a few uh, jobs in my uh, in my, my thirty one years uh, so far, and and I like the idea of you know taking taking pride in what i do and i like that i'm i'm happy to tell people about about what i do even if it wasn't always the most glamorous i took one of the one of the first jobs that i had i was a grocery boy same here is it is it oh awesome yeah i was a i was a fortinos kid uh, i worked at high and zells if uh, if you if you ever heard of that but fortinos was just down the street and they offered me 10 cents more an hour and i was tempted to take it at the time I mean, it must, must have been a great, a great atmosphere at, at the high end Zells then. It was pretty good. I was there for three years, all the way through high school. And the thing was, you know, working as a grocery boy, I, when I would talk about it, I would always talk about it in a, in a disinterested, if not cynical sense, because oh, I'm a grocery boy. Yeah, I spend all day putting, putting cans on. And, and the reason, and, and the thing that kept me going and the thing that tends to keep me going with a lot of jobs, not counting this one, this one is, uh, is good on its own merit, was often, you know, the people that I would work with. And, uh, and, and feeling like, you know, we were, we were enduring this together. So I think one of the, one of the prevailing challenges in all of this is how is a work environment, you know, good enough that somebody wants to be proud of it and wants to talk about it and wants to and, and share that with others. And, and, and it comes from a place of sincerity. Well, so, um, I guess it depends on the company, but, um, most organizations that, and I'll just sort of give you a quick sort of background. So a lot of my background is actually from LinkedIn. I spent almost 10 years there working, helping clients doing various different things. And uh, and I was I was with LinkedIn at the beginning of 2011, all the way up till uh, the end of the summer of, of this last year. And um, so most of my focus has been LinkedIn related. Most of my clients, you know, that was their primary focus, obviously. And so on LinkedIn, um, most of the companies, their B2B, 
Um, and so they tend to be a little more professional. So for example, if I think about like my experience at the grocery store, almost nobody cared about their job, right? Like, you know, they were there part-time, they would do their, actually even the full-timers, they were there, they would go and they would do their work and they would get out. And then if you wanted to talk with them about their job, they had zero interest in talking about their jobs. But in a, in a corporate environment, in a professional setting, um, most people want to feel proud about where they work. And they want to, um, that doesn't necessarily mean they're all super happy with their jobs. There's a good portion of the public that isn't. But um, any way that they can uh, be made to feel better about it is a good thing. And then also um, for them, you know, to be honest, there's a certain degree of, of um, wanting to put on the right face if you aren't happy there, right? Like, I mean, I want to be able to represent myself in the best possible way so that maybe I can get a better job and I can move on to the job I would really love. Uh-huh. So there's there's a little bit of that too, right? And um, and the net of it, I think, is for the individual, um, I want to raise my professional profile. I want to look like a subject matter expert. I want to look like um, you know a, a professional in the space that's well respected and perhaps um, you know somebody that's adding value to the network because that does make them more marketable and will help them get their next job. So I think from an individual's perspective, even if they're in a place where they aren't happy, um, th- there's there's still quite a you know a bit of compelling stuff there. That being said, if I am not sharing anything about the company and I'm not really reading anything about the company, it's easy for me to feel detached. Whereas if I'm working for a company and they're doing all kinds of crazy good things for the community work, uh, uh, projects that they're doing, and they're highlighting employees that all of a sudden you're like, oh, wow, like I'm, I work with that amazing person I didn't know and we're doing this good stuff in the community, then that kind of constant reminder will also make you feel more proud of where you work. Because that brand is now not only being put out to your network, but it's being put through to you as well. So it's a good reminder of the fact that you have invested some time in, in a good place. So one point that I, that I want to raise that I think is, uh, is an is exceedingly important takeaway. You know, while a lot of what we talk about here on the, in the uh, Ecomotics podcast, it tends to lead towards people who are in the entrepreneurial spirit. You know, they want to make their own way. They want to build their own company. So in that sense, they would have to think about this as they're building their companies out. But, you know, a lot of us, we're still, we're still employees. Some people, I mean, like I said before, I, I, I do enjoy where I am. Some people might be in positions where they enjoy it uh, significantly less. But what you said about putting on a face um, or putting on a mask uh, I, I, I like the, the term mask, I think, because it leans into my, you know, my, my arts, my artistic background and just the, the philosophical content that, you know, we all, you know, we all have masks and, you know, guys, I'm, I got a, my beard is kind of a mask, right? I have to pay money to take my mask off and kind of reveal uh, my, my more truer face. And, and then you get into like makeup and, and visuals and people put, put makeup on to, to mask themselves or enhance different things. So that's a whole other thing we don't have to really get into. Um, but I remember seeing this YouTube uh, he's a YouTuber. I think his first name, I believe, is Phil. I can't remember his last name, but he is like a jobs um, and the hiring expert. And he said one of the biggest mistakes you can make in an interview is saying you did not like the last job, um, because what that does is that's true. If that the, the the interviewer we hear that and think, okay, well, if he didn't like this last job, this is either the job actually was a nightmare, or this is the kind of person who finds things to dislike about wherever it is that they happen to be. Um, which is a, a mindset issue that the person doing the conduct, you know, the the per, the potential employee has to keep in mind. So, I mean, some some of it is just understanding. Look, you have a job. Uh, be grateful that you have a job. Um, but I think also it also has to do with like f- how can you find a positive spin on the situation? Uh, because anybody can go in and, and based on their own relative experience, they can choose to be negative about it. They can choose to be positive about it. Yeah. I mean, it's a choice, right? It's a choice as to how you spend your time. Um, and, and if you're in that position where you don't enjoy the work you're doing, uh, but you've got a job and you are thankful for having it, or you choose to be thankful for having it. Cause there's, there's a bunch of people that have jobs and they aren't thankful. And then when they don't have a job, they're like, Oh, wow, I wish I had that job. So, you know, I would say, look, if you've got a job, at least at a minimum, you should be thankful you're working. Um, and then beyond that, um, you know, there's a bunch of things that are within your control, which is what you put out to the world. And, um, you know, uh, you, you tend to attract like-minded people. So if you're putting out a lot of positivity and a lot of help, then you're going to be dry, um, uh, bringing around more of those kinds of people that are going to help move you forward as well. You're going to attract them. And so um, I, don't, I, I wouldn't suggest being disingenuous 
and like, you know, putting on a face so that you're basically just walking around kind of full of it. Um, and you're kind of, you know, blowing steam up everybody's butt, you know, we don't need to do that. But at, at the same time, I think, you know, it's, it's good to be conscious about what we're putting out there. And, um, and then, you know, translating that over to the, the business side, like, how does the company represent themselves? Well, I mean, even if you have your, just your own your business and you're by yourself and you don't have employees yet, how you represent your business, that is your brand and it is your reputation. So, and, and if we think about LinkedIn, the platform that you can control that reputation. In fact, it's the one platform that you really can control it. If you start messaging and sharing content out on Twitter, you know, the world could come flying in and crazy stuff happens and people are commenting and there's, there's no recourse. People can be anonymous and they can say whatever they want and, and Facebook to a certain degree and some of the other platforms. Whereas LinkedIn, if I say something negative, every single one of the people that are connected to me are, have access to being able to see that and know that I did that. And so there's a huge disincentive for me to be negative. Yeah, there's a huge incentive for me to be positive encouraging people, helping them, answering questions, you know, uh, sort of the, the sort of the idea of like, you know, the uh, uh, tide lifts all ships. So if, if we have that idea and that mentality, I think that's a great way to do it. And then if I'm a, you know, solopreneur, I have my own business, or maybe I just have a few employees and, and I'm working my way, you know, uh, growing my business, um, the better I can represent our business and the better I can encourage the employees to represent the business and have pride in it, then the more people are going to see that business um, as legitimate and, uh, and you know, um, you're able to manage the reputation of the brand. And so then it comes down to, you know, what do you share, right? What are the right ratios? You know, because you don't want to just talk about like products and services. If all you do is just message like, we now sell this and we sell that and we've got this on sale and you should buy this and please click here. People are just going to tune out super fast, especially on a platform like LinkedIn. But I think every platform, I think everybody would tune out on that because it's like, oh, all this person does is just just pitch stuff. Um, and unless you're pitching something that everybody wants and it's half the price, you know, it's going to get boring pretty fast. So, um, so there is a there is a ratio that we would uh, typically talk about, which was three to one. And so every six pieces of content that you share, you would share three pieces of thought leadership, two pieces of industry news, and one piece about you or your company. And I think if you keep that kind of ratio, it doesn't have to be exact, but I think if you keep that kind of ratio where you think I'm really, it's about lifting all ships. And then every now and again, I talk about me and what I want, then that's a, that's a great way to approach it. Because now if I find an article and I think people in my network could really benefit from this, I read the article and I think it's valuable and I learned something and then I share it out and I give that opinion. When I read this, this is what stuck out for me, or this is my take on it. You know, then that's something that everybody in the network goes, oh, wow, that like, oh, you know, Jonathan shared that and it was valuable and I really appreciate it. Now, my last memory of the person that shared it is they helped me. So, and if I, if I keep doing that, then every now and again, when I share something about my company, they're like, oh, good for you, you know, or, or that's great. And when they do that, that goes out to their entire network. So it's a great amplifying effect. And then uh, it, it, even if it doesn't uh, immediately translate into an increase in the bottom line, it it, it improves the the foundation of the company. It improve, improves perspective, like you said, uh, positivity draws in more positivity. Um, there, there's a sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that that note on you know increasing the bottom line, uh, it will eventually. Yeah. And so that's um, at LinkedIn. We used to talk about the buyer's journey, and you know you might think about it like any big decision in your life. You're not just going to see one ad and then go, I'm going to go do that. Like let's say you're thinking about buying a car. And, uh, you, you know, in six months, maybe your lease is up or you're, you know, you're like, okay, in six months, I'm going to get a different car. You know, you don't drive down the road and see an ad for a Mercedes and go, oh, well, <laughs> that's it. I'm going to have to buy that Mercedes now. They, man, they were smart to put that <laughs> ad there because they got me. I got to go do it. Like, you, that's not how it works. People step outside of a Starbucks and they see a Starbucks on the other side of the road. You, go, you know what I could go for right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But if I'm in the market for a car in that period of time, and then Mercedes does a really good job of telling me their story. I learn about all the awards they're winning. They've got a great company culture. Maybe I'm really concerned about you know um, uh, um, sustainability, and they talk a lot about how they're the most sustainable car. I, I don't know if they are, but you know all of these good things. Then maybe there's 25, 30 touch points over that six months where they're not ads. They're really just sort of talking about who they are and you know 
what good they're doing and all that kind of stuff. By the time I'm now ready to buy a car, I'm like, okay, cool. Well, I was thinking about these brands, but I think I should also, I should also really seriously look at that Mercedes. So it's not about an ad. It's about the conversation and it's about that, that buyer's journey. And if you're in front of them constantly, then you stand a much better chance of um, having that brand recognition, the brand recall. So that way, when uh, that you go to make that decision, th that company's top of mind. Well, if you have your own business, how do you stay top of mind is by doing that kind of activity, staying in, you know, constantly, uh, you know, getting those touch points. So that way, when they're ready for a product that you sell, you're top of the list. Some people, the buyer's journey is two to three touch points. Others, it could be literally a year and a half from now, but it will pay off. I, yeah, I, I believe you 100%. And I, I mean, I didn't mean to denigrate the, the concept in saying that it doesn't happen right away. No, I didn't but take it, does, it, but it does happen. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I just said, clear, clear up the, <laughs> yeah. the audience. I just thought well. I'd add like the next, you know, component as to where that heads. Yeah, sure. I, I think one of the, I mean, this might be a, just a personal skepticism, because I know, uh, oftentimes, how I think does not reflect the masses. But um, e even in in articles and in content that is written, as you say, described to um, contribute to thought leadership, there's always this element of if it's re represented by a brand, like just we'll, we use, we'll continue using Mercedes as the example. Yep. I, I, I'm not that good at disassociating the idea that sooner or later they are trying to funnel me towards a purchase. So I think one of the challenges is for companies to think about Aside from their profitability and their ability to, you know, to, to grow and expand and, uh, and and keep up with the competition, is also what are their other things that they're up to? Or their their charitable actions, um, their their research technology, how they're contributing to a, a larger effort. And I think companies, you know, given that this is a, a competitive environment, they might be reluctant even to share some of that information because then all of a sudden it keeps them from from being ahead. So. Um, have we have, can can we say with uh, with any degree of certainty that this is always this has mainly been uh, for the net good and that companies don't end up um, maybe losing their edge by oversharing information? Um, well, it depends, I guess, on what you describe as oversharing. But um, I would say, I mean, if they're talking about the good work that they're doing in the community and how they're you know improving technology and all that kind of stuff, that is definitely a, a massive asset towards what they're trying to accomplish, which is more sales. Uh, because because you have a different perspective of the brand. You know, there are some brands that like as soon as you say that brand's name, you have a feeling or or some impression about them. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. But uh, but we have that that feeling or impression about them. You know, sometimes it might be, uh, you know, if they're trying to hire people, um, they may struggle with that because you keep thinking about them as the product, not the place that people actually work. You know, so it really just depends on the, on the scenario. But uh, um, you know, I think if the company's sharing ten times a day, and uh, and it's all about their ecosystem, that's valuable. But they should be mixing in, you know, industry news and thought leadership and other things. The other note is, and I, I think you made a good point at the beginning there, is that disassociation, like the fact that, like, oh, okay, well, there's something they're talking about. All right, they're probably trying to pitch me something. I mean, to, to be honest, like, what, what company is it, right? They're not just talking about stuff for the sake of not, you know, talking about. Even when they make charitable contributions, it's because they want that recognition. So that people go, oh, they're such good people, you know, and then you go, I want to buy from them. Well, I mean, if you have two companies and one's making charitable contributions, the other one isn't, and they have equal products and equal pricing, you're probably going to lean towards the one that's doing some good. So that's why they're talking about it. There's a reason, there's a motive, obviously. But um, beyond that, uh, when we talk about employees sharing that content, like let's say you and I are connected and you work for one of these companies and you share a story that is about the company may not be about a product or service, but maybe something that you guys are doing in the community. Um, that's when more of that disassociation happens from the brand, because I know you. So employees are twice as trusted as the brand. So even if it's an ad, if the employee shares the ad, I'll take that ad twice as seriously as I would if the company paid to put the ad in front of me. And so that's also part of the reason why you want employees to be able to share out this kind of content mix because not only does it do some good for the, uh, you know, for the employee, but it also does a lot of good for the company.
Have you seen um, typical methods for, uh, by which companies use, I guess, to maybe motivate or incentivize their employees to to share this? I mean, granted, some of it does come from a genuine place of enthusiasm, but even that, I think, can go too far. Uh, even the you know the idea of oversharing to me that's a rather like a specific uh, issue that I don't think most companies are going to run into. But anyways, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty it's pretty narrow. You you end up with if if a company has a thousand employees. And you have a platform that, like what I represent, which is Social HP. Um, statistically, my experience has been that about half of them is about how many you could get to sign up for this. The other half just don't have any interest. So that's one note. So if you've got 1,000 employees, you could likely sign up 500. Then the second note would be, of those 500, how many are interested in actually going into a tool, finding the story, and sharing it out? Well, it's not a high percentage. It's somewhere around 20%. That's been my experience when I was at LinkedIn. We had a social sharing platform called Elevate, and we saw about 20% monthly active usage. And so you've got 20% of your employees that will log in and share something. And that's because they're enthusiastic. Maybe they like new technology or because they see the benefits for them, right? I'm, it's going to make me look smart. It's going to make me you know, a subject matter expert, and I'm going to feel good about the company. So these are all good things for me. Those are also probably people that you know, adopt new technology. So when the new iPhone comes out, they're probably more you know, statistically more likely to order it. They're, you know, they're, they're more interested in this kind of stuff. The other 80% of the employees, they might raise their hand and say, yeah, this is a great idea. And I do want to share thought leadership. I want to, you know, have this right mix of content. But then in practicality, the change of behavior is a lot to ask of them. You know, forming a new habit is difficult. And then also there's no, like, it's not like if I don't do this, you're going to fire me. So immediately, like, I just forget about it or I'm too busy or you know, whatever. Or maybe I'm intimidated by it because I'm like, I'm not a content expert and I'm also not a copywriter. So I really, you know, I don't know what to do. So then it's the hardest part with these kinds of platforms and programs is what do you do with the 80%? How do you get them to share? That's, that's the sort of the million dollar question. Yeah, I mean, it, well, it comes down to how much you're willing to, to put down for it and how uh, much you're able, I guess, to do your your cost benefit analysis for it. Um, in the same way that, regardless of what what message the companies are saying, you're saying that like, okay, at the end of the day, a company still needs to uh, provide a service to to keep going. Um, so, if you know, if if a company says, oh, "I'll give you a thousand dollars to put this article out," I think the the participation yeah, yeah, rate they, is gonna is gonna be, ramp up be, pretty quickly. It'll be somewhere yeah. around a hundred percent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. But but those incentives, like unless it's that kind of compensation, which no company's going to pay for, because that's more than a cost per click ad, you know. So they're not going to do that. There are like you know you can do things like, um, hey, you guys, you'll get points when you get likes, comments, and shares, and then we'll add up those points and you can redeem them. So you can do like contests or rewards and and leaderboards and those kinds of things. Uh, but only a select percentage of employees even care about that. And there's a bit of a honeymoon period when these kinds of platforms come in, which is like, oh, this is so exciting. And then after a little while, it's like, what were they talking about? And then, oh, now they're constantly emailing me and asking me to do something. So, you know, there, there's only so much value there, I think. But the um, that that's the struggles, like that 80-20. Um, the reason why I consult for Social HP is because they have an answer for the 80 as well as the 20. So we have clients that have 100% usage, which is amazing. And um, but the um, But my experience in watching competitors in a space and watching LinkedIn and watching our clients for four and a half years, um, those kinds of like competitions or, you know, incentives, they're either ruinously expensive or, or they just, you know, they only get a slice of people because not everybody cares about, you know, winning a contest or, and once you, and the people that really care about it, once they've won, you can't keep letting them win every week, right. you know, yeah. otherwise, oh, Steve wins again, you know, and then everyone else is frustrated because Steve's sharing like a bandit you know, 50 times a day, getting all these likes and comments, <laughs> and he earns so many points that he wins every single time. And then everyone else is like, well, this is pointless. Right. You know, people game it. Okay. So within the the companies that uh, uh, have taken those solutions provided for the 80%, um, what have been some of the, you know, the, some of the reasonable uh, methods to get such a high degree of participation from the company? Um, the biggest factor and what separates um, what I do now versus what I was able to do at LinkedIn is uh, Social HP built a do it for me functionality, which means the employees like this sounds great. I want to share content. I want to look smart. I want to feel good. Blah blah blah. But I'm kind of not interested in actually doing it. 
So if you have somebody that'll do it for me, that's perfect. And that's what we built. So we built basically the ability for an administrator to have all the people that are that sign up for the do it for me side to just say, let the administrator pick what I should share and when I should share it, give me copy options. And then I set it to either you do it for me automatically like 100% or you do it for me and then I just get a notification that says, please approve this. And then I can adjust it if I want to. And then that's taken it, you know, to, you know, instead of 20% usage, our average overall average is 80%. And the only reason why it's not all 100 is because there's a bunch of people that set their calendar to, I want to approve it. And then they never approve anything, which is a, you know, still another factor. There's always going to be those people. But there's, we do have some clients where everybody just signed up for do it for me and they, they, they don't want to have to approve anything. And then they all can share. And as long as the company's clear, like, hey, this is the kind of stuff we're going to share. This is how often we're going to share. This is how we're going to write it, et cetera, et cetera. So then the employee knows exactly what's going to happen. Then there's no like surprises. Then it works like a charm. I would also think too that um, if a lot of this content that is being shared is already either on the blog or is is being um, d- disseminated in some other way, it's like you have to go through the approval twice. So where in reality it's already been approved, it's already gone through the, the the their their usual channels. So this is just one more way for it to then be spread out. I guess uh, on the on the opposite side of that, have you seen any instances where it's encouraged or uh, impacted the kind of content that companies are putting out? Um, how like how closely they've adopted the three two one rule compared to what they were doing before? Um, so yeah, most companies uh, historically will just share mostly stuff about them. And so we definitely encourage that that best practice of sharing like things that'll that'll actually help the community and help their the employees' networks. Um, so that that change in behavior is good. Um, and then the other piece I would say is, uh, sorry, you had a second part of that question. Yeah, I'll, I'll reiterate. I think because we think you might have covered both of it basically with one answer, but it's um, how it might uh, remotivate people to change their content based off of what oh, uh, yeah. additional channels is going to go to. So, um, so historically, companies, if they don't share this way, the only way they know what works content-wise is when they either post to their own corporate channel, which usually you're just getting the standard people liking and commenting on it, or they're doing a paid campaign. And to test what works in a paid campaign is dangerous. Because if you put out an ad, like let's, you know, an advertorial, whether even it's a story or an ad, whatever, um, and you're trying to figure out like what copy and what image is going to work the best, you're literally spending money while you're trying to figure it out. Whereas if you're sharing content through your employees' channels, you'll see which copy, which image, and everything else is working. And you can kind of get a, a sense of, based on my employees' audiences, um, what is most compelling. And then you can start to use that, and it'll affect what uh, image and copy options you choose when you do paid campaigns. So then your paid campaigns actually become significantly more valuable and more and more successful. So um, because we can, on one story, we can provide like multiple copy and multiple image options for the exact same story and then have uh, different employees share different versions of it, you can actually A-B test all day long which options are going to work the best. And then we give you that information in the reporting. So it very much affects um, not only the content that they choose, but also even what image and the copy uh, that they choose to write for it. Mm-hmm. And I guess too, it would also depend somewhat on the uh, profile and background of the employee in question, because you have people who specialize in backend. And so all of their connections are in development space, whereas my connections are more front end. So I, I would want to uh, select articles that would appeal more to the people that I'm already connected with. 100%. You want to make sure that you target the content to the audiences that you're, that you're targeting. And that, that, you know, and a great example would be for talent acquisition. Um, so, you know, like employment branding, sure, it works. Uh, you've got some general EVP stuff that you want employees to share out. It's general. It's overall about our company and why we're great to work for, you know, great place to work. But if you're targeting, let's say you're targeting back-end software developers, and then you're sharing like success stories of the front-end software developers, they're going to be like, I don't care. Like, I don't care about that project. I would never work on a front-end project. I only work on the, like the back-end stuff. So, but if you know, like, okay, I need to put this kind of story through those, you know, the, the, you know, the software engineers that work on the back end, and it's compelling to those people, and they would find this really interesting. Then when you share it out, those people are like, oh, cool, they do such cool work there. 
because it's relevant. So relevancy is is a big big factor. So earlier on, one of the threads that we had um uh, we had unraveled is you know the the impact that any one employee can have even on the uh, 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 on the well being uh, and the growth and evolution of a company. And it reminded me of I think where a lot of people they get disinterested in the idea of holding public office. Now I'm not. I'm not turning this into a, a liberal sure. versus a conservative thing. Uh, it's just about how discouraging a lot of people or how discouraged a lot of people are at the idea of getting into public service because they see what, however, the premier or what the uh, prime minister does. And they and there's such a degree of separation between what we have control over and what they do. And it reminded me of you don't necessarily have to run for, for premier of the country, which for those of you who don't know, that's our equivalent of a president, I think. Uh, we, we, I guess we do answer to the queen, but that's a whole other uh, situation. Somebody can run for a local office. They can run for something within their own district. And the reason why I bring this up is because I think it is possible for even one individual employee to have a more of a small scale, but still significant influence on the growth of their company. If this is something that they're invested in, even if they didn't create it in the same way I didn't create the country, that doesn't mean I don't want to um, ha- have activity or have autonomy over it in my own small way. So I would l- wondering if, you know, I am wondering if, based on the data that you've collected, and if there's any examples of this, is of employees having a, a greater degree of impact on their on on their own company um, through through these methods that we're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And what we can do is we can actually track. Um, so we also have some functionality where we do reverse IP lookup. So let's say you know you have employees sharing out content. You're a B two B company. You're trying to land some new you know new big clients. Um, when your employees share content, uh, and then let's say let's say it's something about the company, and then somebody I, like you're you and I are connected. I click on that story, and it takes me over to your website. We'll do reverse IP lookup and see what company you've come from, and we can see that you shared it. So we can see that you're driving people from these companies to our website. So we can see that attribution. So that's one note. The other thing is um, sometimes people undervalue their network. And they think like, well, I'm not like, like, I don't go like for lunch with everybody every day. So they don't care. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not talking with them all the time. That isn't true. Um, you know, staying top of mind is a good thing. Um, that's the whole sort of, you know, buyer's journey, touch point kind of thing. You know, we, we talked on, I touched on earlier. In, and I'll give you an example. Like, let's say um, Kim Kardashian uh, talks about her new yoga mat. A bunch of people are going to click on it. A bunch of people are going to be all like, oh, Kim Kardashian's got this new. But no one's really like, does anyone really act on it? Whereas if you do a yoga class and your yoga teacher is like, oh, by the way, I found this new yoga mat and it's really awesome and this is why. Uh, the value of the opinion of my yoga, actual yoga teacher saying that this is a good yoga mat versus Kim Kardashian saying it's a good yoga mat. Pound for pound, my yoga teacher is going to sell a hell of a lot more yoga mats than Kim Kardashian will. So that's, you know, Kim Kardashian would be considered, you know, like a, you know, a big time influencer in social, which, you know, it's kind of comical. And then, but the individual like that yoga teacher, they may be called a nano influencer or a micro influencer, depending on like how many followers they have. But their impact on those people, because they have a personal and direct connection with those people it's significantly more impactful when that person says something. So when you say something through to your network, it's significantly more impactful than any brand or you know, big time influencer uh, when they do that. So even if only, you know, if, 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 if you have a thousand connections on LinkedIn and a hundred people see it and three people comment on it or like it, each one of those people that comment or like, it goes out to their entire network, that's one. And then the second is you're still having an effect. Because if 100 people see it in the newsfeed, they think about you. That's one. And then the second thing is, um, even if it's three people each time that are engaging, those three people, that's a significant impact on those three people taking the time to go, oh, that's cool. I like what Jonathan just did there. And then, you know, like or comment or thanks for sharing or this is helpful. That's valuable. And then they know when they do that, everyone in their network's going to see it. So the impact per person is pretty significant and that, that shouldn't be lost on anybody. And that's where, you know, if you talk about you know, like politics, absolutely, right? Like I don't need to convince everyone in Canada 
that, uh, that, you know, they need to do this or that. But if I'm just talking to a group of friends, they're going to take my opinion pretty seriously. By the way, if you're a current user of Debutify or haven't tried us out yet, Debutify version 3 has been released and now is a good time to upgrade or get started as any. A streamlined user interface along with an ever-increasing array of conversion-boosting add-ons is waiting for you. So download today for free and start your journey. Who knows? Maybe I'll be interviewing you before too long. So there, 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 there's definitely a lot here to, to parse, a lot here to, to take away. I guess one thing that I want to do is angle this next question for my uh, for my peeps in, the, in dropshipping country. Is they're using dropshipping as a means to start a business and and it gives us the ability to build a brand from from scratch with uh, very little capital. So considering that you know one person it's, it's going to start as a one person op- operation and it could be that way for a while uh what would be a good entry point for them to start building up some of the social capital early on um so uh again it depends on their uh, like what they're focused on so are you talking about like products and then they order it and then they have them drop shipped in and then they like sell through amazon or something like that yeah yeah, yeah. i mean it's a um, arbitrage is another way of saying it um, so okay. it's so that part is, I mean, that's not to like the most relevant thing to to this. It's more about the the key is these are people who are, are can start off with very little uh, money, and so yeah. you know, they have there's a lot of advantages based off where we put our energy. So okay. in that sense, you know, the ideal way to uh, to deploy this energy or early on and start building up some of that goodwill towards the long run. Right. So um, well, first off, everything I'm talking about is free. There's number one. That's a good start. Um, because unless you buy a platform, like unless if, if you have three employees, you don't need a platform like social HP, but if you, you know, if you've got 50 or a hundred or, you know, or thousands of employees, this is an ideal scenario. But so if we're talking about those, you know, solopreneurs and they're starting their new business using channels that are free, that are evergreen. So they're always on, this is a great, great strategy. Um, but, you know, and making sure you have that content mix. Right. But it, so like a platform like LinkedIn, you can build a company page and then you can build product pages. And it's very hard to get Google to index your personal website. Like you can create your new website unless you're an expert at like, um, you know, feed burner and, and uh, um, blogging and all the rest to be able to create as many uh, links and, and backlinks. So that way, you know, Google indexes you quickly, uh, which most people aren't. So then it's, well, how do you get indexed? Well, most people, if you just type in their name into, into Google and they've got a LinkedIn profile, that will be the first thing that comes up. So, Google indexes LinkedIn every single day. Well, uh, LinkedIn just announced that they are going to be, um, their product pages are going to be indexed by Google as well. So if you want your products and your services to show up really, really quickly on the web, building out your products pages on LinkedIn, which are completely free, uh, then Google will index it. So then when people are doing keyword searches for whatever product or service, that's a great way to avoid having to pay for uh, SEO and or a great way to avoid having to you know invest tons of money in in your site because you can do it through LinkedIn. So that's one note. Second on that would be you know the sharing of the content, building your brand, and and keeping that strategy going. Um, you know I don't need to share five stories a day. I can share two stories a week, mm-hmm. and they're easy to find because most of them aren't going to be about me because it's only one in every six we're going to be talking about me or or my company. So the other ones, I can just be talking about stuff that's happening in the industry that might be related to my product, might be related to the service that uh, could be helpful for people that I'm connected to. So they don't, one, feel like I'm pitching all the time. And two, I'm adding some value into their day. Now I'm staying top of mind. And then when I do talk about my company or my product or my service, they're much more likely to engage. Also, LinkedIn will allow you to invite people to follow. So I can invite 100 people that I'm connected to to follow my company page and my products and services per month for free. I don't have to pay to add followers as long as they're connected to me. Then when you do company page updates and you can like or comment on it, they're all gonna get that in their newsfeed. So now you're, you're amplifying it through your networks. So that's a, a quick couple of notes I would say for somebody that's running a, a, you know, an early business that they don't have a lot of money and they're trying to do it you know, uh, as effectively as possible because you wanna be able to communicate with people that matter to you. And usually if you've got a network, um, you know, depends on what you're selling, but um, like there's, you know, 740 million LinkedIn members. I don't have to convince 740 million people that my company is really, really good. 
I only need to try and convince the people that I want to sell to. So if I connect with the people that I'm looking to sell with, and I'm building those relationships and building that network, then I'm now connected with my customers and I'm connected with my prospects and I'm constantly staying in front of them. Then I've got a great, really so inexpensive because it's just your personal time. Uh, um, and if you don't have the capital, you've got lots of time. So you may as well invest it in something where, you know, it'll pay out a little bit. I didn't even know that there were product pages on LinkedIn. I, I, I gotta yeah. be honest with you. And, and what's great about my particular brand is that I do lean into the remote working space, um, and, you know, and, and small, uh, small businesses, uh, young professionals. So for me, the kind of products that I'd sell would be exactly where I would want to go on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is 100% where you should be spending, you know, a lot of time and you can build out your product pages. Then people can like your products and follow your products, follow your company. And then you can just provide updates and, and so on through that. And then very quickly, uh, Google will index you. So that way, when people are searching for that, you will come, you know, come up pretty, you know, pretty close to the top, depending on how competitive the space is where you are. But, you know, it's, it's, it's a great strategy. Oh, any space I'm in is super competitive. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know what? That means it's a real business, right? Well, I, I feel if anybody is welcome to use that line, by the way, they just want to boost their ego temporarily. So <laughs> a public domain, anybody can use it. Right, right. Yeah, I, I okay. Well, I gotta. I, I guess I want to know a little bit more about about product pages uh, now that I've got you here. So, what I'm thinking is this is something that I would want to write specifically for LinkedIn. It's not necessarily something that I would write on my own website. I mean, I have a blog on my own yep. website, so I can pretty much say anything I want. But to in order to use the platform correctly. Um, is this similar to say, I don't know how familiar you are with like the affiliated marketing space where, you know, people just, they, they write specifically about the product in more of like a promotional sense. Is it more like a, a sales pitch? Is it just, uh, like on, from a more, your LinkedIn, more personal like on a, place? On a yeah. If I'm, writing, if I'm writing on LinkedIn, like, I'm not sure what tone I want to take in order to talk about the product. It depends on where you're writing it. So if you're writing a post, I mean, you know, obviously we don't want to be polarizing on a platform like LinkedIn and we don't want to have like opinions that are going to piss a bunch of people off because then you're going to turn people off from buying from you. But if it's like uh, one product page is, is literally a showcase on the product. So you're going to, you know, you're going to have an image, you can put up a video, whatever it is you want, and you can write a product description and then people can follow it and like it and they can endorse it and they can write comments about it. So, uh, so that's primarily what you put in for that product area. And then you can also create posts, you know, directing people to your product page, et cetera. And then Google will index it. Um, otherwise, and then you're, you're not like, you're not posting in your product pages all the time. From a company perspective, you might be directing people to your product pages periodically. But from a company perspective, you're talking about, you know, thought leadership, industry news and company content. And then for you as an individual, you'll do the same ratio where you're, you know, you're mixing, you're mixing up that, that stuff. Hopefully that answers your question. Well, one one more side, one more element to it that I just want to get clarity on too is so for me, um, the brand that I'm working on in particular, would I be able to write through the the, the I guess the mask of uh, on behalf of the company, or is it still me, Joseph Ayani, uh, writing it? Okay, either way. Okay, yeah, because you're the company page admin, so you can post on behalf of the company from the company page. Or you can write on your LinkedIn profile as a post. I would say there is something just to quickly note for those that do post on LinkedIn. There's a post and an article. Do a post, don't write an article. Because articles, my experience is they don't go anywhere. But posts, people will like and comment on it. And I don't know why index, uh, LinkedIn is prioritizing one over the other because I didn't do that coding and I'm not a coder. But I will say... Um, I've, I've done both and posts are better than articles. Articles are long form posts are a little bit shorter. They're kind of like, you know, mid length, uh, but, but post work and, and articles are tend to be pretty ineffective. My, my gut reaction to that would be if I, if I did a blog post on my own website, I, I can copy and paste that over as an article, minimal effort, even if something happens. And not an article though, you'd copy and paste it over as a post. As a post. Okay. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. Or you can do a company page update. And then you then reshare that as yourself. So you you post it as the company, as a company post update, and then you go over to your profile and then go to your company page as a member, mm -hmm. and then you hit reshare or you comment on it or you do whatever you want, and then that'll go up to your personal network. 
Well, that, a, lot, a lot of really good uh, good insights here, especially into the LinkedIn space, which is no surprise because you've been um, at the company for I think it was like uh, ten years, nine, ten years. Yeah, it was it was nine and a half years. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think I, I overstayed have... my welcome for about four of them. <laughs> Fair. Uh, so I've got you for uh, not that I'm uh, pathological, but um, anyway, seven minutes and thirty seconds left. And okay, first of all, this is this is the most tongue in cheek question that I've asked in a long time, but I've just got to get it out of my system. Has LinkedIn ever thought about doing a dating uh, service? Because I I'm really not that feel I'm like aware pro- of. Okay, because I really feel like professionals would really want to find somebody like minded, and I don't know if Tinder is the best place for that. So I don't know. I always thought there was. I, I, I will say, when I first started, people tried to use it as a dating service. Like they would find profiles of people that they liked with the photos, and then they would reach out to them and try and start a conversation. I never did that, but I did hear like women telling me that they were getting approached on LinkedIn and people asking them out um, and very unsuccessfully. <laughs> so I don't think it ever, you know, I don't think anybody ever really, uh, you know, was successful at that. But uh, Microsoft bought LinkedIn, I don't know, whatever many years, maybe it's like five or six years ago now. And, um, and when Microsoft bought LinkedIn, um, they started to look at that ecosystem and how they could start to integrate it. And so from a technological standpoint, there's going to be some integrations and things that kind of head that direction and, and some, some joining of products uh, to sync it and, and, and better, you know, create that ecosystem. But um, I've never uh, heard that being as part of, you know, the conversation around the roadmap. Yeah, I because I, I do remember hearing stories about that uh, a, little, a little while ago because like uh, you and I both have um, a comedy background and so some of our connections are probably within the comedy space and so sure. I do remember some uh, especially some of the ladies in the comedy scene you know, if they got into the professional side they had no qualms about being open about the fact that like guys were reaching out to them this is LinkedIn this is not a dating website yeah. so like like yeah. the time and place right like that yeah I, I wouldn't advocate for that but some I don't know like some sort of speed well I can thing. I can definitely guarantee you this no woman has ever reached out to me on LinkedIn for the purposes of using it as a dating site. Okay. And I also don't know any guys that had that happen either. Well, well, I don't know if I believe you, but I, uh, okay, well, I'll have to go with that. Actually, you know, that, that's one thing too, that always uh, stuck out to me too, about uh, being, uh, being contacted on LinkedIn is that, you know, I, I will get messages and get coming, uh, going back to that early disassociation where I'll see a message of like a filmmaker or something say, Hey, do you want to uh, support me on this, uh, uh, on, on this on this journey where I'm trying to do a, a film about people going camping inside of a valley, and I think I, I I wish you luck, but I get the sense that you've messaged like a hundred like a hundred other people just in the last hour. So, um, any uh, any tips on like cold emailing? Uh, or if I if contacting people indirectly, what seems to result in a little bit more of a pr- productive conversation? Um, yeah, so definitely um, not going straight at. Can you? buy something from me? Can you give me money? Can you, you know, like, um, but the one thing I think that's reasonable to ask for is advice Um, because people are professional. And if they're an expert in that field uh, and for example, let's say like, you know, I I want to start selling into this space or this market, I might approach some people that could be potential clients and say, I'm actually starting to look at selling into your space. You could be a potential customer. I don't want to approach you as a customer, but I would love to chat with you just so you could tell me what is the right approach, what feedback would you give me, you know, how would, you know, how how should I best represent my company to a potential client like you? One, it gives me the opportunity to kind of have that conversation. And then if they're at the end, they go, to be honest, actually, we'd be interested in your service. This would be great. Nothing wrong with that. But also then they will give you some real advice. And usually their advice is going to be good. So they'll say, like, hey, and then if you have 10 of those conversations and eight of them are identical. The feedback's identical and there's like two outliers, maybe ignore the two outliers and go for the, you know, the consensus of this is the best way to approach this market. Now you've got, you've got some real instruction on how to open up a new bit, you know, open up a new line of customers or, or, or whatever it is you're trying to do. So I would say that ask for, ask for help, ask for advice. Yeah. I never, I never would have thought of that, but that seems like a great way. And I, I, I wouldn't mind being buttered up that way. If I'm being honest, <laughs> somebody sends me a message and asks me for, for yeah. advice. I'd be like, yeah, yeah exactly. okay, th- this, this feels good. And it yeah, gives yeah. me a chance to practice my own understanding because sometimes we need the ability to think these things out loud, think these things in, in, in text. And, you know, oftentimes we can teach ourselves as we're trying to teach others, it gives us a chance to calibrate our own thoughts swirling inside our head. Totally. Excellent. Well, well Jonathan, I, I hate to do this, but I got to let you go because I know uh, you've, you're, you're, you're a busy fella. 
Um, but I am, would be uh, more than happy to have you back on the on Economics. Uh, give a couple of quarters. Let us know how things are going. So uh, door doors doors wide open for you. Awesome. Uh, I, we I haven't really even. I, I appreciate it too. We haven't even gotten into like you know, the, the comedy stuff too, which I was hoping we, we can get to, but we'll, we'll table that because uh, that is going to open up a number of uh, worm cans. Uh, for those of you <laughs> who, who know me, know I love opening up a can of worms once in a while. So with that, um, let the audience know how they can, I guess, in, in, be engaged in the platform, how companies uh, should reach out and uh, where to find you. And then if you have any uh, last bits of wisdom or advice, or if there's like a proverb you really like, feel free to share that too. Yeah, so uh, to find me, it's just Jonathan Baldock. That's me on LinkedIn. Um, currently, you'll see that uh, I'm listed as the founder of Glimpse Social, and that's because I launched an app uh, last fall. So we can also cover that in, the, in our next conversation. Um, but uh, but in there, I'm an advisor for Social HP, and that's obviously where our conversation is focused today. Um, SocialHP.com is the is the product that's an employee advocacy platform that's, in my opinion, the best one in, in the space, and I know the space exceptionally well. Um, and then, um, you know, if they want to chat or, you know, find out a little bit more about it, I'm happy to answer any questions. And um, uh, I, I would say my only note on people that are starting businesses and, and entrepreneurs is um, uh, I always had the problem of wanting things to be perfect before I did it. And, and always having a sense of almost like imposter syndrome, like, well, I don't know how to do that or I can't do that. And, uh, and I would say, you know, you should throw, throw that to the wind and, and take steps forward and just, you know, slowly figure it out and, uh, and you'll get there. So, you know, don't, don't let that stop you. And message people on LinkedIn for advice. As you, as you <laughs> yeah, as that's well. for yeah. sure. Absolutely. Fantastic. Um, well, well, to our audience, I think uh, there's a number of great takeaways here. One of them is uh, if you're not on LinkedIn, get on there. Um, it is, I mean, think about, I'm, I'm guilty of this too, but think about how much time we spend scrolling Facebook, uh, how much time we might waste, uh, you know, just going through Twitter just so I can, oh, I hate this. I hate this. I hate this. Oh, I like that. I hate this. I hate this. But that alone, I think should compel people to consider LinkedIn, especially if you want to get ahead in the, in, in not just in the e-commerce, but really in any industry. So, uh, that's one thing that really sticks out to, today to me among uh, a number of other things. So, with that, Jonathan, thank you so much. This has been fantastic. Uh, it's great to have this, uh, to, to have finally got this conversation with you after we had uh, talked uh, not too, too long ago, but still felt like some time had passed. And to our audience, uh, thank you as well for your participation. So take care and we will check in soon. Thanks for listening. You might have found this show on many number of platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or right here on Debutify. Whatever the case, if you enjoy this content and want to help us thrive, please take a few moments to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you think is best. We also want to hear from you, so whether you think you'd be a good guest or want to weigh in on anything related to our show, you can email podcast at debutify.com or connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Finally, this podcast is created by the passionate team at Debutify. If you're ready to take the plunge into e-commerce or are looking to up your game, head over to Debutify.com and see how it can change your life and the lives of many through what you do next. <laughs>